Section 15 of The Emperor of Portugalia by Selma Lagerlöf. Translated by Velma Swanstone Howard. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Reading by Lars Rolander. Section 15. The Empress. The little girl of Rufflack had been away fully thirteen months, yet Jan had not betrayed by so much as a word that he had any knowledge of the great thing that had come to her. He had vowed to himself never to speak of this until Glory Goldie's return. If the little girl did not discover that he knew about her grandeur, her pleasure in overwhelming him would be all the greater. But in this world of ours it is the unexpected that happens mostly. There came a day when Jan was forced to unseal his lips and tell what he knew. Not on his own account, indeed not, for he would have been quite content to go about in his shabby clothes and let folks think him nothing but a poor crofter to the end of his days. It was for the little girl's own sake that he felt compelled to reveal the great secret. It happened one day early in August, when he had gone down to the pier to watch for her. For, you see, going down to meet the boat every day, that he might see her come ashore, was a pleasure he had been unable to deny himself. The boat had just put in, and he had seen that Glory Goldie was not on board. He had supposed that she would be finished with everything now, and could leave for home but some new hindrance must have arisen to detain her, as had been the case all summer. It was not easy for one who had so many demands upon her time to get away. Anyhow, it was a great pity she did not come to-day, thought Jan, when there was so many of her own acquaintances at the pier. There stood both Senator Carl Carlson and August Darnold. Björn Hindriksson's son-in-law was also on hand, and even Agrippa Prestberg had turned out. Agrippa had nursed a grievance against the little girl since the day she fooled him about the spectacles. Jan had to admit to himself that it would have been a great triumph for him had Glory Goldie stood on the boat that day in all her pomp and splendor, so that Prestberg could have seen her. However, since she had not come, there was nothing for him but to go back home. As he was about to leave the pier, cantankerous old Agrippa barred his way. "'Well, well,' said Agrippa, "'so you're running down here after that daughter of yours to-day, too?' Jan, knowing it was best not to bandy words with a man like Agrippa, simply stepped to one side so as to get by him. "'I declare I don't wonder at your wanting to meet such a fine lady as she has turned out to be,' said Agrippa with a leer. Just then August Darnoul rushed up and seized Agrippa by the arm to silence him. But Agrippa was not to be silenced. "'The whole parish knows of it,' he shouted. "'So it's high time her parents were told of her doings.' "'Jan Anderson is a decent fellow, even if he did spoil that girl of his, and I can't bear to see him sit here day after day, week in and week out, waiting for a—' 
He called the little girl of Rufflock such a bad name that Jan would not repeat it, even in his thoughts. But now that Agrippa had flung that ugly word at him in a loud voice, so that everyone on the pier heard what he said, all that Jan had kept locked within him for a whole year burst its bonds. He could no longer keep it hidden. The little girl must forgive him for betraying her secret. He said what he had to say without the least show of anger or boastfulness. With a sweep of his hand and a lofty smile, as if hardly deigning to answer, he said, "'When the Empress comes—' "'The Empress,' grinned Agrippa, "'who might that be?' Just as if he had not heard about the little girl's elevation. Jan of Rufflock, unperturbed, continued in the same calm, even tone of voice, when the empress glory of portugalia stands on the pier with a crown of gold upon her head and with seven kings behind her holding up her royal mantle and seven tame lions crouched at her feet and seven and seventy generals with drawn swords going before her then we shall see prestbury whether you dare say to herself what you've just said to me when he had finished speaking he stood still a moment, noting with satisfaction how terrified they looked, all of them. Then, turning on his heel, he walked away, but without hurry or flurry, of course. The instant his back was turned, there was a terrible commotion on the pier. At first he paid no attention to it, but presently, on hearing a heavy thud, he had to look back. Then he saw Agrippa lying flat on his face, and August Arnoul bending over him with clenched fists. "'You cur!' cried August. "'You knew well enough that he couldn't stand hearing the truth. You can't have any heart in your body.' This much Jan heard, but as anything in the way of fighting or quarrelling was contrary to his nature, he went on up the hill without mixing in the fray. But strangely enough, when he was out of everyone's sight, an uncontrollable spell of weeping came over him. He did not know why he wept, but probably his tears were of joy at having cleared up the mystery. He felt now as if his little girl had come back to him. THE EMPEROR the first Sunday in September, the worshippers at Svartsjö Church had a surprise in store for them. There was a wide gallery in the church extending clear across the nave. The first row of pews in this gallery had always been occupied by the gentry, the gentlemen on the right side and the ladies on the left, as far back as can be remembered. All the seats in the church were free so that other folk were not debarred from sitting there, if they so wished. But, of course, it would never have occurred to any poor cotter to enscone himself in that row of pews. In the old days Jan had thought the occupants of this particular bench a delight to the eye. Even now he was willing to concede that the superintendent from Davnes, the lieutenant from Lövdala, and the engineer from Borg, were fine men, 
who made a good appearance but they were as nothing to the grandeur which folks beheld that day for anything like a real emperor had never before been seen in the gentry's bench but now there sat at the head of this bench just such a great personage his hands resting on a long silver-mounted stick his head crowned with a high green leather cap while on his waistcoat glittered two large stars one like gold the other like silver when the organ began to play the processional hymn the emperor lifted up his voice in song for an emperor is obliged to sing out loud and clear when at church even if he cannot follow the melody or sing in tune folks are glad to hear him in any case the gentleman at his left now and then turned and stared at him who could wonder at that it was probably the first time that they had so exalted a personage among them he had to remove his hat of course for that is something which even an emperor must do when attending divine service but he kept it on as long as possible that all might feast their eyes on it and many of the worshippers who sat in the body of the church had their eyes turned up toward the gallery that sunday their thoughts seemed to be on him more than on the sermon they were perhaps a little surprised that he had become so exalted but surely they could understand that one who was father to an empress must himself be an emperor anything else was impossible when he came out on the pine knoll at the close of the service many persons went up to him but before he had time to speak to a soul sexton blackie stepped up and asked him to come along into the vestry the pastor was seated in the vestry his back turned toward the door talking with senator carl carlson when jan and the sexton entered he seemed to be distressed about something for there were tears in his voice these were two souls entrusted to my keeping whom i have allowed to go to ruin he said the senator tried to console him saying you can't be responsible pastor for the evil that goes on in the large cities but the clergyman would not be consoled he covered his beautiful young face with his hands and wept no he sobbed i suppose i can't but what have i done to guard the young girl who was thrown on the world unprotected and what have i done to comfort her old father who had only her to live for the pastor is practically a newcomer in the parish said the senator so that if there is any question of responsibility it falls more heavily upon the rest of us who were acquainted with the circumstances but who could think it was to end so disastrously young folk have to make their own way in life we've all been thrust out in much the same way yet most of us have fared rather well oh god of mercy prayed the pastor grant me the wisdom to speak to the unhappy father would i might stay his fleeing wits sexton blackie standing there with jan now cleared his throat 
the pastor rose at once went up to jan and took him by the hand my dear jan he said feelingly the pastor was tall and fair and handsome when he came up to you with his kindly blue eyes beaming benevolence and spoke to you in his deep sympathetic voice it was not easy to resist him in this instance however the only thing to do was to set him right at the start which jan did of course jan is no more my good pastor he said now we are emperor johannes of portugalia and he who does not wish to address us by our proper title him we have nothing to say to with that jan gave the pastor a stiff imperial nod of dismissal and put on his cap they looked rather foolish did the three men who stood in the vestry when jan pushed open the door and walked out End of section 15 Read by Lars Rolander